It's the Buckleverse Christmas Movies one. Welcome, my friends, to the Buckleverse Christmas Movies Show. I am your host, Podcastings, Danny Buckler. You're very welcome here. I'm going to be mentioning the Buckleverse's Christmas movie picks. Now, it won't be as usual fare. Don't you worry about that. There's no, no great escape and all that round here. No, we're going for proper Christmas movies, traditional Christmas movies, starting off with Jaws 4, The Revenge. Before we proceed any further and the content puts you right off, hit that subscribe button. It'll change your life forever. And if you hit the like button as well, you're guaranteed an endorphin release. I don't know how that works. It just does. Push them now for your own sanity. Jaws the Revenge, my friends, is a Christmas movie. It's the way we're starting off. It is a Christmas movie. Why? Because it's set at Christmas. Because Christmas features heavily in the plot. Who, my friends... Who can truly say they've celebrated the Christmas season without hearing the sound of Mike Brody being torn to pieces by a crazed, vengeance-driven great white shark while the children of the Amity Choir are singing Silent Night on the dockside, drowning out his cries of agony as his arm is severed? That's what the Christmas spirit's all about, my friends. And by the way, when you get to heaven, you and I both row oh. Roy Scheider a drink because that was supposed to be him in that scene that was written for that movie as the end of Chief Brody that was supposed to be Martin Brody in a cameo getting in that boat trundling out to the middle of the arbor to unhook the log that the shark has left there as a trap oh we'll get into this and he was supposed to be the one that went into the water got torn to pieces and that was that and Roy Scheider to his eternal credit told them to get in the bin Good for you, Roy. That was nicely timed. So, yeah, I mean, Shy didn't even want to do Jaws 2. So the fact that, you know, they even asked him, do you want to come back and do Jaws the Revenge, have a little cameo and get killed in the first two minutes? Massive insult. Anywho. But it's a Christmas film. It's set at Christmas. Amity Island is setting, is celebrating Christmas in the opening when Ellen Brody arrives in the Bahamas. You know, the first thing you see is the cab driver singing to her, Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Slightly tactless to sing that to a lady that's just lost her son in a shark attack not a week before. But there you go. It must be the longest Christmas ever as well. That Because we start in Amity Island. It's Christmas. Mike Brody is killed. It, uh, Ellen Brody manages to, her son manages to fly in from the Bahamas, bury Mike Brody, pick up his mum, take her to the Bahamas to grieve. It's still Christmas. All this action happens within three weeks. You know, we have Christmas Day fairly promptly afterwards. I mean, it's it's an uh, that is the least of that film's woes. It's condensation of Christmas, or it's stretching out of Christmas to what appears to be months. So much wrong with that film. Oh God, it's awful. But it is a Christmas film. Watch it this season. I remember Leo Hamilton. He was uh, my best mate at school, and I was little school. We were like eleven years old, and like all eleven-year-olds, we were liars. But his dad got to, he got to see Jaws 3D in the cinema. In Going to the cinema in London was a big deal for where we were in Woking because it involved an awful lot back then, getting on the train, going up there, a parent who was willing to take you, which he had. 
and um, his dad sport him rotten. All the toys he had. Only person I ever knew to have every single Star Wars figure until I met Heath Heish. Now, Heath puts him to shame. Heath's got a Star Wars room in his gaff. You know what I mean? Like, he's, you, you, I'm so jealous of Heath's lifestyle. I mean, that room with all those Star Wars figures in it, that alone, all of his toys, his memorabilia. Oh, what a legend. But Leo at school, he had all the Star Wars figures because why wouldn't you? I had about seven. And I had the numpty Star Wars figures. Like, he had the real Han Solo in the waistcoat. I had Hoth Han Solo. You know what I mean? He had like the proper the proper ones and he had proper outfits. And I was always had, always had the kind of the B list. Like he had Boba Fett and I had Bosk. Thanks very much. My mum's inability to choose a decent. St- anyway, it doesn't matter now. The point is this: his dad took him to see Jaws 3D, so he got to see that that god awful piece of shit in a cinema with 3D glasses on, which must have made it better. So when Jaws 4 comes out, of course he goes to see that with his old man. And I'm all excited because I'm a Jaws file. It comes up so often on this show, but I'm Jaws is my happy place. And I was so excited. I was going to tell me all about it. You know what I mean? If you can't see a film, the next best thing's your 11-year-old best mate telling you about it in the playground the day after. What happened? What was it like? And he did tell me. And I was to find out he, sped me, he fed me a line of bullshit. Um, he told me how great it was and how the, the mechanical shark looked like a real shark, not like the one from the first film. It was like a real shark. And, you know, in the first film, we don't get to see the shark till right near the end. Yeah. Well, in this one, you you see the whole shark straight away. Do you? You do. Technically true. But then he said, there's a guy out swimming. The first attack is a guy swimming and the whole shark jumps out of the sea and it comes over the top of him, and it comes down directly on top of him, and that's the first shark attack. And I'm like, oh my God, I want to see this. A slight exaggeration. The first shark attack is the aforementioned Michael Brody, and uh, the shark does launch itself out of the sea at one point in the film in order to take down Jake off the mast, but as far as the most lifelike shark of the Jaws franchise, you're way short. That was one of the many mysteries of Jaws, was the diminished, the law of diminishing returns in rubber shark technology. Bruce is the best shark. Jaws of Revenge is bloody awful. The, the, the premise itself, the idea that this shark is out for vengeance is ridiculous. It's made more explicit in the novels of Hank Searles. In, Hank Searles did the novel of Jaws 2 and Jaws the Revenge. And he wrote those novels based on the original screenplays that he got to see in advance. So there's more details in them. It's all fleshed out. So in Jaws 2, the shark in Jaws 2 is on the rampage because it's pregnant and it's ravenous. Because of its pregnancy. And uh, we get a very graphic flashback where the shark is remembering the act of coitus that led to this situation with Bruce, the shark from Jaws 1, because apparently sharks, their pregnancies are four years, the sharks are born full grown. So, yeah, there's a a complete description of Jaws, Bruce from Jaws, fighting the shark from Jaws 2, Brucette, latching onto the back of her, (laughs) giving her the benefit, and then (laughs) going away pregnant afterwards. And the climax of the novel of Jaws 2, it's not in the films, is when the shark bites the cable, that ends, ends its life, it gives birth a second before and one baby gets out before it dies. And then there's a, pro, a postscript where the baby shark kills a seal. 
And this shark, now full grown, is the shark that we encounter in Jaws the Revenge. It's our Christmas shark. It's Bruce Jr. And it's out for revenge for its parents' death because that's what sharks do. They take shit personal. So this particular shark heads to Amity, sets a little trap for Sean Brody. It lodges a log into the into the buoy, and out he goes on his tug to to take it out, and the shark takes him out. Horrifically, easily one of the most horrific. If you can get your head around the fact that you can clearly see him tucking his arm in his jacket when it bites his arm off, but it's a, it's a slow and horrible screaming death. As I say, drowned out by the children's choir of Amity singing Silent Night on the dock to remind us that this is indeed the season of goodwill to men and sharks. It's a Christmas film. Christmas is all the way through it. Don't normally, and that's the first Buckleverse Christmas movie. <laughs> Number two, Batman Returns. That's a Christmas film, my friends. If ever they want. The whole plot revolves around Christmas. It's Christmas in Gotham. The Penguin's plan is to do what he needs to be done by Christmas. You know, and what a vile plan it is. Oh, it's a horrid film, Batman Returns. Of all the Batman films, I think I like it the least. And I include Batman and Robin in that. There's something about it I just find so depressing. It's a very... It's the Batman film... Batman 89 is the... Tim Burton Batman film he was told to make. Batman Returns is the Tim Burton Batman film that he wanted to make. And I'm not one to question a, a, a filmmaker's vision. He's got this opportunity. I don't knock him for it. But, oh, the choices. The choices. The grey washed out colours. The non-plot. Transforming Catwoman. She's supposed to be this, you know, cat burglar. This this incredibly damaged but highly intelligent and sophisticated woman a strong powerful woman a self-directed woman and a cat burglar by day but you know is that good enough we generally don't know the Anne Hathaway was the cat woman is the cat woman that's it but the Michelle Pfeiffer cat woman though you know we all know about the PVC outfit and how hot she is but reimagining her as some sort of weird cat vampire who gets pushed out of a window and is brought to life by Cats sucking her blood out of her fingers, and and apparently she's got nine lives, so she can't be killed because she's got nine lives. Nonsense! I mean, it's Burton-esque fantasy at its finest, but it ain't no Batman, as I understand it. Then again, here I go again. Look to each his own. If that's your bat, that's your bat. It just ain't mine. Christmas drives the plot of Batman Returns in that it's set at Christmas in Max Shrek who's the real villain of the piece. Christopher Walken is the main baddie, Max Shrek, a character created for the films, never seen in the comics. He's the mastermind behind all. He wants to place Oswald Cobblepot, the penguin, in position. And again, another reimagining that I didn't care for. Not DeVito's performance, that is exceptional. Exceptional and wonderful makeup. He looks amazing. But when he's in the top hat and all the gear, but He's not in the top hat and all the gear much. There's only about three shots. The rest of the time, he's wandering around in his long johns like this weird, horrible living testicle. This fish man that lives in the sewers and spits black bile. Again, you know, introducing an element of the supernatural into it. He's some sort of mutant, half-man, half-penguin creature with flipper. <laughs> you know what I mean? Gone is Burgess Meredith with the, the cigarette in the holder. <laughs> and... 
again, a, a great performance, just not my penguin. The way it was written is not my penguin. Colin Farrell's my penguin of choice now. After, after obviously, Burgess. You can't, you know, Burgess Meredith till I die. But I thought Farrell's penguin was phenomenal. Just phenomenal. That's what you want, the gangster penguin. Anyway, this is Burton's vision. But it's all Christmas. It's all Christmas time. It did the final line of the film. Merry Christmas, Master Bruce. Merry Christmas, Alfred. Goodwill to all men and cats. You know, I mean, do 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 do. Christmassy soundtrack. Danny Elfman gives it a very Christmassy score. There's clowns in it, albeit dark ones. Batman does murder. What's more festive, my friends? What's more festive than a, a scene set on Christmas shopping night where Batman burns one cat, a juggler to death, in the uh, using the furnace at the back of his Batmobile? And then places a bomb down the trousers of another clown before kicking him down a chimney to blow up. A murder in Batman. Again, all kinds of wrong. The bat never kills. No guns, no killing. Unless you're in a Tim Burton film or you're the Ben Affleck version, in which case, murder it will. But Batman Returns, I tell you, is a Christmas movie. All the sets, giant Christmas trees. Everywhere, you know, the, the Gotham princess being thrown off the roof to frame the Batman and she lands in that giant Christmas sort of display, splat. What's more festive than that? <laughs> Lethal Weapon is a Christmas movie. There's another one. It's slightly odd because of where it's set in the world. It's Christmas in the sunshine. So, but it is Christmas. Christmas decorations up all over the place. The final battle at Myrtle's house. You know, it all happens at Christmas. Christmas doesn't get much mention in the plot. I mean, it doesn't actually affect the plot of Lethal Weapon that much. But, you know, I mean, the thing starts with Jingle Bell Rock, as I recall. That's the Jingle Bell Rock. Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell Rock. And an ironic soundtrack to the suicide that sets the action off again <laughs> joy to the world it's like christmas eastenders in it you know nothing's more festive like death nothing's more says christmas day more than somebody dying on albert square i mean it must be the most terrifying time of year to be in the east end because every year at christmas someone croaks and they don't die they have mental breakdowns in the style of arthur fowler but we get rigs chasing criminals through the Christmas trees. In one scene, the Christmas tree salesman, when they're, they're, when they're posing as undercover coke dealers or whatever it is. We have the final fight with uh, Mr. Joshua on the on the lawn outside Murtor's house. He's smashed all the Christmas deckies and all that in. Um, it's a Christmas film. It's full of Christmas light and love. Good old Mad Mel. Ah, oh, those were the days, mate. Getting a VHS of Lethal Weapon out. <laughs> Waiting for it to come in, laying down your £2.50, taking it home for the evening. The theme tune should be a Christmas carol. When you lose control and you scare yourself sometimes When you really don't care yeah, that your life is on the line and even love can become a lethal weapon. I would like children to sing that to me on my doorstep on a Christmas Eve. 
When you lose control. <laughs> Stood there with their buckets. Here you go, kids. Here's some Christmas scratch. Thanks for coming round. Did you know the theme to Jaws of Revenge? Jaws of Revenge tricks you into thinking it's going to be good with that opening credit sequence. It's got one of the best opening credits of any Jaws film. Any Jaws sequel. You can't beat the first one, hands down. But any Jaws, the opening credits where it's uh, the shark's view. It's arriving in the town under the sea. And the, the, the Jaws theme is playing. Dun, 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 Then its view will come up. You'll see it as it breaks the surface. You're seeing it. And you see Amity in the distance. Then it goes down again under the water. More credits. Then it comes up. And now it's closer to the town. Just that horrible sense of it's coming, it's coming. It's coming for Christmas. Like a toothy Santa Claus. I got this for Christmas one year. Oh, my mother knows her son. Look at this. This was under my... If you, if you listen to the audio version, I am holding an incredible rubber shark. My obsession with Jaws goes back through the decades. And I had this rubber shark that came out to, for, the, for the original film when I was a little kid. And I've, I've still got it, by the way, but it's perished to all buggery. I mean, the, the fins are off of it. The bottom jaw's gone. But I've still got it. It's my oldest toy. The Arthur tail's gone where our old Saluki dog, Luke the Lurcher, chewed it to bits in 1985. About three years ago, there was a, this was under the tree. She found this in a second-hand shop. And it's basically the same shark, but um, newer. <laughs> I'm not sure it's proper Jaws merch. It looks more like hook jaw. Um, without the hook in his mouth. But uh, that'd be a good episode. We'll do that and all next time. Hook jaw. Do an episode about him, the, the the comic book shark. But that's my that was my that was my Christmas treat under the tree. There you go. A big old rubber shark. I reckon that would be a sweet Christmas Eve treble bill that. You want to start Batman Returns. Start as you mean to go on. Bleak. And then uh, segues smoothly into Lethal Weapon because after Batman Returns, you want some sun. Batman Returns is a film that makes you feel cold when you're watching it. It's all that snow on the screen and and it's grey snow. It's Tim Burton's snow, but it's not, you know, Edward Scissorhands snow. It's, bleh, it's slush, slushy streets. It's one of those films that you want to have a wee every 10 minutes because all the slush just makes your bladder fill up by some magic. So after that, you want some cinematic sun. So your next port of call is Lethal Weapon. Because it's in the sun. It's Christmas in the sun. It's what you want. And then to round things off, we head to Amity for a bit of both. Jaws of Revenge. A bit of Christmas winter at the start. And then we go to the Bahamas for a bit of Christmas sun. And the shark follows them. Again in the novel... Hank Sells, who wrote the novel The Jaws 2, also wrote a novel for Jaws The Revenge. And again, in the novel, he actually explains in greater detail why this shark is doing what it's doing. <laughs> and in the novel, it's voodoo. Voodoo's the reason. Some voodoo priest has got a, a jip with the Brody family, and he summons the shark with his voodoo powers. And, and whether it's a coincidence he happens to summon the shark, that's the son of the shark that Mike Brody's dad killed. Not Mike Brody. I've said, oh, Christ, it's not Mike Brody that dies in the start. Oh, I'm going to get a pile on now, and I in the comments. Actually, I'm not. No one watches these things. It's Sean Brody that gets killed in the opening. It's Sean Brody, not Mike Brody. Mike Brody the, the, is, is Lance Guest. He carries the rest of the plot. This is what I get for working from memory. 
Anyway, there you go. Three Christmas films you didn't know were Christmas films from the Bucklerverse, from me to you this season. Stay tuned, there's more coming. Hit the subscribe button. Take care, my friends. Ta da! Ah!